is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode 154 for Wednesday, March 19th, 2014. Hey there, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Well, thank you. Happy Wednesday to you. Good, good. Thanks. We are here to do our feedback show for this episode, and uh, I think there is all kinds of good good feedback this week. All the kinds. All the kinds. I'm really excited to read this one because this was a big episode, you know? There was a lot of uh, killing of little girls <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. you know, almost killing of babies and just emotional stuff. So I think it prompted a lot of outpouring of, of comments from people. Cool. So we got all the kinds of feedback. All, all the kinds, that's right. Yeah. And we're going to read all the kinds. But the first thing we're going to do is we're going to play, as always, another entry in our uh, Record Your Favorite Scene contest. Cool. This is becoming my favorite part of the podcast. Yeah, it's very, very enjoyable. So we're going to do that right now. And this comes from Matt in Wilmington, Delaware. Do you know who I am? Do you see who I am? People wear dead people's faces. Morgan, listen. No, I don't know you. You do know me. I don't know you. You saved my life, Morgan. You know me. Look at me. You don't clear, man. You turned. You just... Die! You know me! I don't know anyone anymore! You don't clear! You know me! You crazy son of a bitch! Please! Please kill me! All right, thank you, Matt. You know, Jason, I've realized something. What have you realized? I've realized that it's more fun to play those unheard, like not listen to them beforehand and just let it go and see what happens on the air. <laughs> that was delightful. Because I had no idea we'd have Matt slapping himself. Yep. You know, that was... Most a... likely it was a, a hand in palm kind of thing. He probably wasn't actually slapping himself in the face. You don't know that. Maybe he was. I don't was. know that. He could have just punched himself right in the face. Maybe he slapped his stomach. Well, that'd be cool. You get a really good slapping sound when you do that. Well, the problem is he would have to record that whole thing shirtless then. See? There like that. <laughs> uh, well, whatever. If he records shirtless, it's for, it's all about the performance, man. And if it yeah, I'm shirtless. If it requires no shirt, yeah. then that's what you have to do. This is radio. I don't have to wear a shirt. No, you could sit there naked if you want. If I wanted. Just please don't. Or, or at least don't tell us. I won't. That you are. Well, thank you, Matt. That was awesome. And uh, these just get better and better and more they fun do. to listen to. So keep them coming, everybody. A couple more That's weeks. Fun. Awesome. All right. Uh, let's move right into things here, Jason. we got a few holy craps to do, and then we'll get into listener feedback. Okay. Holy crap. Did you see that? So the first one comes from George on the internet. George says, my holy crap, did you see that moment for episode 14 has to be when Carol cocks the hammer on the revolver before shooting Lizzie. Of all times to not cock the hammer first, this should surely be at the very top. Well, it's a dead giveaway. <laughs> That's right. exactly right. So I'm, I'm about to shoot you in the head. But it does take a lot of force to pull the trigger without co cocking the hammer. So uh, maybe she uh, she needed to, to do that. Yeah, and I went back and watched it, and that gun doesn't make an especially loud clicky noise when you cock the hammer. Um, but lots of guns in television shows make all kinds of clicky noises when all you're doing is raising a weapon from a, a position bes beside you to uh, to pointing at somebody, and, <laughs> and then they make cocking sounds at that point. Yeah, that's true, but they not, do. Not this one. No, this one was very quiet, and then when she pulled the hammer back, it was still pretty quiet, and I think maybe with all the environmental noises... Maybe uh, Lizzie wouldn't hear it. She was also yeah. crying and looking at the flowers and stuff. So, right. 
All right, uh, one more here. Tom in Delaware, Ohio, sent an email about this, and so did John in Chicago. Well, John called us, so I'm going to play John's call, but thank you to both of you for pointing this out. Hey, guys, this is John from Chicago. Um, I'm calling in for my, holy crap, did you see that moment? And uh, it's not necessarily something I saw, but it's something you know, my wife and I don't, we watch the, the Walking Dead, but we don't actually usually stick around to watch the AMC's Talking Dead. Um, I prefer to listen to you guys. Um, but we were watching it last night, and um, they were talking about the scene where uh, Carol and uh, Tyrese are talking after, um, after she shot Lizzie. And they're talking about the puzzle that was on the table while they were having their conversation. And um, that uh, it was mentioned that the puzzle, when completed, uh, they mentioned the director pointed this out to them right before they shot that scene, that when that puzzle was completed, it was a picture of Sophia uh, wearing that little, I guess, that rainbow shirt that she had on, um, you know, back in the in the season when she went missing. And um, that was kind of my, holy crap, did you see that? I mean, everything else in the episode was intense, but, um, the, you know, that in particular – my wife and I had been saying, you know, this is this is a woman who's had to go through a whole lot. Um, you know, now she's lost, if you want to consider them daughters, three daughters uh, and and more people. But um, for that to be there when they're getting ready to shoot this scene, I mean, that just that is that is a holy crap moment, if ever there was one. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, John. So it took me a few minutes to figure out what John meant when I first listened to this. Right. But what's going on here is that the puzzle they were doing sitting at that table, Carol and Tyrese, was an actual Walking Dead puzzle with picture of Sophia on it. And apparently right. they didn't know that because when they got there, you know, the puzzle was all broken up and they hadn't done it yet. And then just before they were started to shoot, somebody brought the box over and said, this is the puzzle you guys are working on. Right. So it's kind of a weird real world, Walking Dead world fantasy mix-up there where you know it's a picture of carol's tv daughter at you know at which which we talked about would be extremely emotional and a little bit crazy what happened uh yet they're sitting there in the real world doing this puzzle you know with a picture of her on it which wouldn't exist in the walking dead world so it's kind of <laughs> funny how that worked out but interesting well, from a production uh, from a production point of view having that there uh really lets the actors know that uh you know, Sophia's in their thoughts at this moment, like this, uh, and it's just a physical manifestation of that to give them, you know, the actor's motivation for that kind of scene. But in the Walking Dead universe, can you imagine how freaked out you'd be if you sat down to do a puzzle in a strange house and it turned to be a puzzle of, turned out to be a puzzle of your daughter, a picture of your daughter <laughs> that happened after the po apocalypse started? Be pretty weird, I, man. I, I would have turned a gun on myself at that point. I'd be like, "Yeah, uh, I'm checking out right now. See you guys later. See you later." <laughs> that that is that would be bizarre. That's the kind of thing that would happen in a Stephen King novel, right? Right. Yeah. Which you know, this is this is close to that sometimes. Yep, could be. So, all right. Thank you to Don Tom for the email and John for the call about that one. Uh, it's time to move right into this now. Listener feedback. All right. So we've got a couple of uh, feedbacks here about Alone, the previous episode that I wanted to throw in. The first one comes from Jill in Newcastle-upon-Tyne, England. Jill says, Just wanted to mention how upset I would be if I was Beth and saw Maggie's notes to meet her at Terminus addressed only to Glenn. <laughs> Surely... There was enough blood around to include Beth's name, too. <laughs> Poor, forgotten Beth. Oh, that's not a... you, Beth. Beth, you go wherever you want, but Glenn, I'm going to Terminus. Yeah, exactly. Glenn, come find me. Beth, eh, you know. I mean, Maggie must be assuming that Beth is dead. That's that's all I can say. But then why would she assume that and not... I mean, she's maybe she knows Glenn isn't dead because he was on the bus, but then he wasn't when she got there, so he fled somewhere. I don't know. Now, am I correct in, I, I don't know, I'm not entirely sure where I got this assumption, but I think Maggie and Beth are half-sisters, right? They have different mothers. I think so, yes. Yeah. So uh, what what the hell does Maggie care about Beth then? <laughs> Beth? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, take her boyfriend over her half-sister. Beth is still her family, you know, yeah. by half-blood. 
But that's her boyfriend. That's that's her apocalypse boyfriend, and that's uh, that's very important. I, it's it's hard to come by a boyfriend in the apocalypse, I guess. It is. And when you find one, you stick with him. <laughs> right. Right? You can always get another sister. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Anyways, still, poor Beth. No one, yeah. no one cares about Beth except Daryl. Jeez, I hadn't realized that. That's funny. Yeah, it's pretty mean. All right, uh, this is a call from Tyson on the internet. Hi, guys. Just sending this in uh, regarding the stray dogs, the people that uh, Daryl's joined up with. I think that they might be people from Terminus that have actually been outcasted and set away, sent away because um, I think they might have been too savage and they didn't suit the bear, uh, place there and people didn't really want them there. That's just my opinion. Uh, maybe they're hanging around the Terminus tracks because, um, well, they know people will be heading there and they're just going to pick them off and steal their stuff and don't let Terminus get more people. That's just my opinion. So I hope you guys play it on the show. And I'll keep listening. Thanks, guys. Bye. Okay, thanks, Tyson. So we talked about what their relationship, these the wild dogs' relationship to Terminus is. Yeah. And I think this is probably the best scenario or best idea I've heard someone come up with, that they were cast out of Terminus. Right. So, And I, and I really like that. We thought that, uh, you know, we talked about them being part of Terminus or not being part of Terminus. But, uh, you know, Tyson's absolutely right. They're probably... They're I like this idea that they were cast out because they didn't fit the uh, the psychological structure or the the social structure of Terminus. You guys are too uh, you're too wild and too crazy to get the hell out of here. Yeah, we're trying to build a, a friendly civilization here, and you guys are just going around choking each other out and fighting over beds and stuff. Um, and and the fact that they're just kind of mulling around the area then sort of makes sense, right? And if they know those terminus signs are there, people or travelers are going to see them. They're going to follow the tracks. If these guys just stick around, people will continue to come by, and they can they can they can loot them, pretty much. Yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> I like it. If you're the wild dogs, it's a great idea. <laughs> it's fantastic. And I think it's a, a good concept f- to explain their presence there. You know, right? Um, it's pretty good. Okay. So now we're going to get uh, we're going to get into the Grove feedback. First, we have a call from Max in Connecticut. Hey guys, this is Max, the math teacher from Connecticut. I'm calling with my grades for the Grove this past week's episode. Um, overall, I have to give the Grove a solid B, possibly a B plus if I'm feeling generous. Um, I'll go through the positives first. First off, I thought all the um, actors did a really good job, especially Lizzie's character. Um, the end result when with all with the glue girls dying and Carol having to to do such a horrid thing such as as killing a kid, it was all very potent. Um, as for cons, you know, as an avid comic reader, I kind of saw a comment, and I'm sure many other comic readers did because of Billy and Ben, but I just kind of feel like they're getting into a place with. The Walking Dead, where when they spend a full episode with a character, you're kind of on high alert. So we kind of felt it, even the non-comic readers, I'm sure, kind of felt it was coming. But I'm sure only minutely. Overall, um, I really did like the episode. There was no other episodes in this back half of the season that come close to it. But at the end of the day, I still find myself saying, where is Rick? I mean... To only be in two episodes out of the, you know, last six is a big deal. I think they could have done the same thing with the Grove, gotten the same effect with only spending, you know, two-thirds of the episode on that group of people. They could have filtered in some Rick or even some uh, Abraham, Rosita, and Eugene because we've only seen them once. Um, it's I kind of have mixed feelings with the way they're divvying up the time, the airtime. Overall, don't get me wrong, I'm just very critical with this show and the comic. Um, I did like the episode, and um, to you guys, you guys are the best podcast around. Um, I always count the days until I'll be able to listen to you guys in the morning. All right, this is uh, Max the Math Teacher, signing off. Do your homework. Do your homework, Jason. Yeah, I'm I'm doing my homework right now, actually. All right, so Max gave this a B or a B plus, and then said that this is far and away the best episode either in the back half of the season or the whole season. I forget now. 
Right. And it's still only a B plus. Right. So that's that's pretty harsh. I B would plus say. was a good mark, my friend. Well, it's a good mark, but you'd think once a season they could have like a solid A episode, right? Well, maybe we're coming up to the A, A minus episode or an A plus plus. No, you're right. It could be coming up in the last two, and I sure hope it is. Well, maybe. that, you know, and that uh, that assumes that they're grading on a curve. Like in this uh, second half of the season, we're going to get one A, two Bs, uh, a D, and an F, you know, and that's it. And this is the uh, the, the, the B plus episode. Okay. So we haven't got our A's yet. So what you're saying is that's that's what we're guaranteed next week and the week after. I, I well, let's just say I have high hopes. All right, you're not guaranteeing a win here. I will. I don't think I can guarantee anything, but uh, I have uh, I have a lot of hopes. And uh, come on, you know, we're we're going to try our hardest. We're going to get out there. We're going to do our thing. We're going to, you know, we're going to bond together as a team, and we're going to get the W. Very good, man. <laughs> I wanted you to pull the Mark Messier and say we're going to win this game, guaranteed. Like, I know, first of all, Mark Messier, <laughs> Messier, I assume, is hockey. Yes. <laughs> no, that that reference is uh, lost on me. Oh, how could you have grown up in Canada? I don't know. All right. Well, let's move on to another call from Liam in Perth, Western Australia. Hey, guys, it's Liam from Perth, Western Australia here, and I just want to use your fancy new voicemail feature to tell you what I thought about the episode The Grove. And one thing that I really liked, which I don't think many other people picked up on, is that at the end of the episode, we see that the two morals that the two young girls stood for are kind of betrayed through Carol's actions, in that I suppose it's in honor of Mika, Carol couldn't bring herself to kill the deer. And when Tyrese and Carol are walking along the train tracks, neither of them stop to eat to kill the walker that was stuck in the railway tracks. And I just feel like that's those two kind of demonstrating that the girls did have some influence on them and what they think in that Mika saying, you don't need to kill the living, and Lizzie saying, you don't always need to kill the dead. And and I just thought that was something interesting that referenced, so I'd love to hear what you guys think about it, and I'll see you soon. Thanks, Liam. And I think he said it very well. I I think he did. You know, he, he, he boiled down the sort of two attitudes of the two girls. You don't always, uh, well, you don't, you don't want to kill the living, you don't always have to kill the dead. Right, and that's sort of their two outlooks on things, and uh, it's interesting that Tyrese and Carol, as they're leaving, or well, as they're leaving and before when she didn't kill the deer, really uh, portrayed those two different sort of themes or morals from each girl. It's well done, well done, Walking Dead. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fantastic. <clears throat> All right, we have a call from Dennis in Philadelphia, and apparently Dennis references the comic here, so uh, I don't remember what Dennis says. We're about to find out. But he references the comic, so could be minorly, minor spoilery. Minorly spoilerish. How about minorly that? Minorly spoilerites. Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Dennis from the Midnight Jury podcast out of Philadelphia. Uh, I left a previous message where I was completely out of breath and wanted to sum it up a lot quicker for you. I don't think the excitement is due over this episode that it's been getting. You're just taking something, a storyline from the comic that everybody already knew had happened and had pretty much suspected was going to happen and just changing a few little minor details here and there. Uh, I don't read the comic. I've only read the first three books. And I'm sorry, it was just a letdown for me. Um, It happened in the comic. I wish they'd stop doing that. I wish they would stray and just do two different stories because no matter how you look at it, it's a spoiler. Um, That's it. I still thought the episode was great. I love your podcast. I just wish they'd stop doing stuff from the comic and create their own story. That's it. Have a good one, guys. We've talked about this a little bit, Jason. I, in some ways, feel the same way here in that sometimes knowing the comic is a detriment to enjoying the show when the show is too close to the comic. What do you think about that? I, I, I like it. <laughs> I like it both ways. I like it when they uh, when they stick to the comic because it's a new take on the comic and it's exciting to see something that you know is going to happen. It's a, it's a known and beloved story that comes to life in a different way because there's always a different take on it, right? There's always a, a different uh, spin on any of the stories in the comic when they show up on the screen. And this, this episode was, was no different. Uh, I mean, sure, it was ripped right out of the comic book, but we had different characters involved. We had... Uh, uh, a slightly different situation, and uh, I, I really liked it. I also like it when they completely stray away from uh, from the comic book. 
So I, I kind of like I, I like it both ways. Yeah, I, I I can see what you mean. I but for some reason with The Walking Dead it doesn't work as well for me when I think it gets too close to the comic book story. I was thinking of movies, you know, where I've read the book that the movie is based on, and and I came came to mind the uh, Dragon Tattoo series. Right. You know, I read those books. I saw the first movie, but seeing the movie didn't take. Uh, I mean, reading the book didn't take anything away from the movie-watching experience for me, even though I essentially knew exactly how it played out. Yeah. I think part of the enjoyment is noticing the the little things that are different um, and seeing what maybe what changes they have to make for a different medium. For some reason, though, with The Walking Dead, I, and it may be that I think about it too much because, of course, we do this podcast, that... I'm I'm I can see it coming farther ahead if you know what I mean like the governor storyline at at this at the end of the first half of season 4 I could see that coming a mile away and maybe I don't really take that approach when it's when it's a movie and based on a book whereas this is an ongoing thing right and I can put the pieces together sometimes and and figure it out right and sometimes I don't know that just doesn't work for me as well so my inclination is to say I, I'd prefer them to stray a little bit farther from the comic and tell a different story sort of with these characters. Well, let me ask you this. Do you enjoy re-watching movies and re-watching television? I don't enjoy re-watching television. I've, I almost never re-watch a TV show. Almost never. I mean, there's a few, I guess, that I have, but it's super rare. Movies I can re-watch, but it depends on the movie. To be honest, I don't think there are very many movies that I would rewatch either, except for my like all-time favorites. Right? right. So I think I'm of the type of I'm the type of person that definitely likes to rewatch television and and rewatch movies. I could uh, there's movies that I'll, I'll I could watch every day for the next year and a half, and that'd be that'd be fine with me. Uh, there are TV shows that I go back to and watch the entire run of the show every couple of years, and I like that. And I'm not sure exactly why it's. I like I kind of like knowing what's going to happen, but uh, seeing the story play out anyway. So the, it, when it happens in this kind of medium, it I get the best of both worlds. I know what's going to happen, but I don't know how the story is going to play out. Right. So I, I kind of like that. Yeah, I think my my you know I think I don't like going back to watch TV is is kind almost a timing thing to me. There's so much good TV out there, good content, I think to myself, why would I go rewatch something that I've already seen when I can experience something new? And that really only applies for TV, but it could easily apply for movies too. I will rewatch, if I need to put something on, for example, in the background, or I'm doing something else, or say I'm, you know, reading email for the podcast, and I want to just have something on in the background that I've seen before, there's a selection of movies that I pretty much always go to. I never go to a TV show. That just doesn't make sense to me for some reason. Right. So maybe because TV shows are not one-off things, you got to watch the whole thing. And if I'm going to rewatch something, I'd start at the beginning and rewatch the whole thing, and I would just well, never yeah. do that. I, so, could, I could watch reruns till I'm blue in the face. Drives my wife crazy because I'll just flip through and she's like, we just watched this like two weeks ago. Right. That's fine. I still like it. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't make sense to me. But movies I can, you know, I can throw on Back to the Future every day for the rest of my life and probably really enjoy it. Right. Because it's a really, really good movie. Or Ghostbusters or Groundhog Day or there's a whole bunch of them. Yeah. I put on Ghostbusters the other day, watched the beginning. Um, Breakfast Club is another one for me. But to be honest, I actually like to watch Breakfast Club because it's a fascinating movie. It doesn't uh, it doesn't lend well to a background sort of movie for me anyways. Right. But some um, of those uh, other Hunt ones. For, Hunt for Red October or um, what the hell is the name of the movie? I now forget the name of the movie. It's a... Uh, Never mind. Doesn't matter. <laughs> It'll come to me. It'll come to me as soon as the uh, the mental wall comes down. All righty. Uh, who's up next for feedback? The Abyss. <laughs> <laughs> very good the abyss See? comic timing right there my friend right there <laughs> i like the abyss too never seen hunt for red october what who's up oh, next my... you're up next paul oh, I'm mad at you paul in the uk writes an incredibly traumatic episode for sure but i have to say that i'm disappointed in the carol was the killer reveal now we're left with all of the ridiculous 
questions such as why not simply suggest quarantine for Karen and David as opposed to execution, which would have been more comfortably uh, answered by her covering for the psycho girl. So Carol's not a psycho is what Paul is saying, yet she still right. murdered those people when there were clearly better options. Yes. Uh, I think Carol is not a psycho, but she's definitely damaged after uh, after Sophia. And, um, and, well, her husband as well, who uh, basically did a number on her for a large number of years, and then all of a sudden the husband is gone. That's a good thing, but it's because of a zombie apocalypse, and that's a bad thing. And then I lost my daughter, and that's a bad thing. And then she shows up again, which may seem like a good thing, but really it's a bad thing because she's a zombie in a barn. So, you know, Carol's really gone through the ringer, and we talked about this last episode. So I don't think she's psychotic. I just think she has a different take on uh, what's required for survival. Right. She's making sort of slightly more extreme decisions. Yeah. She's saying, you know, she's she's an all-or-nothing kind of kind of person. She's not going to just move people into quarantine because they're still sick when they're in quarantine, and that can yeah. still get out, and who knows who's exposed. She's going to take them right out and try to yeah. nip this thing in the bud as early as she can. Right. Um, Crazy. But, hey, the, for me, the most important thing is it's out there on the table. It's revealed. They've dealt with it. And, you know, there could still be repercussions from that decision because we have to meet up with Rick again, and he's the one who banished her. But, you know, it more or less, it's sort of out there, and we can move on from it. Right. All right, so we have an email from Katie in Hertfordshire. Wow. Well, that last episode has left me left me with a gaping hole in my heart. I seriously feel like someone has run over my dog and punched me continuously in the stomach. This is the second time this show has reduced me to tears, the first time being Dale's death. My dad watches the show with me, and when I cried at Dale's death, he said that, that the typical it's typical stuff like this on, on TV. No, I got that wrong. When I cried at Dale's death, he said it's typical stuff like it's on TV. It's just a TV show. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> My brain is not working today. I apologize. But when I cried at Lizzie's death, he comforted me by saying it's the right thing to do. So well done to The Walking Dead and especially Mel Melissa McBride and Chad Coleman for that emotional performance and a big round of applause for Brighton, Charbino, and Kyla Kennedy. You definitely went out with the band, girls, and I won't forget it. Neither will I. Yeah. Neither will no, I. No, that was fantastic, yeah. <laughs> it was certainly better than your read. I'll just say that. <laughs> just that middle sentence there I had a problem with. <laughs> That's okay. Sometimes it happens. Yeah. Let's move on. Matt from Clementon, New Jersey writes, You guys discussed the situation where Mika had to shoot the walker while Lizzie sat still with Judith. You guys read that as Lizzie being paralyzed with fear, while I read it as Lizzie not fearing the walkers at all. Even though she knows they bite people, she thinks of them as just being different and wanting to make more people turn like them. The part where she cried and Mika told her to look at the flowers had more to do with her being upset that another walker was killed than her being upset at almost being bitten. Later in the episode, we get the part where all four shoot the crispy walkers. During that scene, Carol stops shooting and takes a look at Lizzie, who is shooting the walkers as well. To me, that scene made Carol trust Lizzie more. Up to that point, we had not seen Lizzie harm a walker herself, yet here she was stepping up and killing them for the benefit of the group. I read that as Carol believing Lizzie is salvageable and not totally crazy, though we quickly find out she is wrong. Hmm. Why don't you move right into Chris from the UK? All right, so this email is from, spoiler, Chris from the UK. <laughs> During the zombie attack outside the house... Lizzie wasn't paralyzed with fear, and she's not scared of the walkers. She did sc uh, seem scared of medium crispy walkers, but that's because of their appearance. Yes, she should know better. All the information is available to her. However, she is nuts. Really can't stress that enough. You can't apply rational thought. By definition, it makes no sense. And yet, to be fair... There is an internal logic to their actions. She is even aware that she sees the world differently to everyone else. Hence, she wouldn't say why she was upset. And the, and the line, I know we have to kill them sometimes, which for me was Lizzie trying to sound reasonable rather than really saying what she believes. Okay, so let's uh, talk about Lizzie for a minute. A lot of, uh, I, I heard some chatter online that Lizzie's character was 
inconsistent in this episode. Right. In that one minute, she wanted to be friends with walkers, and the next minute, she was afraid of them or shooting at them um, and just not behaving in a way consistent with what she was kind of trying to portray. Or her what or what we think her feelings towards the walkers are, and some people were bothered by this, but okay. but for me, I don't think it was that big of a problem. And part of that is because she's a child, and yes, children can watch the same thing, oh, watch the same movie over and over again with a great deal of consistency and and you know repetitious repetition. Are you insulting me? Is that what you're doing? No, no, not insulting you. But kids do like to watch the same thing over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> I think um, you're insulting me. No, my point is that in their, you know, they're they're consistent. I mean, they're consistent in that way. But children emotionally and with are, are very inconsistent, right? They they change their opinion. They change their feelings at the drop of a hat. Yeah, and. I think that's kind of what we're seeing here, and it's it's it explains how Lizzie can go one minute from shooting the walkers to playing tag with them or not sort of recoiling in fear or wanting to feed them or whatever. Right. And all I'm trying to say is the sort of inconsistency that you might see in her behavior, I, I think is just born of being a kid. Right, and she's right. still figuring things out. She may think that these walkers are are people or a different kind of person, but you know she's a child, so she has all kinds of different conflicting thoughts, and it you know her behavior is governed by them. Right. For me, if you replace a zombie with dogs, it makes kind of more sense. When the dog is attacking you, you're afraid. When the dog comes out and is running around, you want to play with it, and it's cuddly. It's just, it's not a person, but it's also not a bad thing, but it can scare the living crap out of you if it's doing something aggressive. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, you know, maybe she sees zombies in that way, that uh, sometimes when they're not really that threatening, like they, uh, there's only one of them, and you know you can get away, you're playing tag with it. But if one bursts out of a window and falls over and starts gnashing and chomping and trying to get at you, you're afraid. And when they come out of the woods all on fire, you want to uh, get rid of them and shoot them. Right. And it's, you know, it comes, it, it partly comes down to appearance. I mean, yes, zombies are all kind of rotty and gross, but the ones that were crispy and on fire, they were much more disgusting than, than some of the regular less burnt zombies. Right. And and, and again, you, children react to appearance too more than than adults do. Right. And if you if you saw if you're a child and you saw a dog trapped and couldn't get out and nobody cared that the dog couldn't get out, wouldn't you want to feed it and comfort it yet stay away uh, enough so that it couldn't bite you? I think your yeah. dog analogy is a really good one. You know, I was I was attacked by a dog when I was a kid and that scared the crap out of me at the time. But it was all context. I'm not afraid of dogs now. No. Um, and I have a similar experience. When I was about uh, four or five, I was bitten by a junkyard dog, an actual dog that lived in a junkyard. Okay. Actually came out and bit me and broke the skin on my leg, and they were worried about rabies there for a little while. But for a long, long time after that, I was terrified of dogs. Uh, but now I'm not afraid of dogs. I actually really like dogs. Right, totally. And and you were a kid, so you were influenced by that experience. Now you're an adult, you can see things clearly. Yeah. And you're you're less governed by your emotions because you can control them a little bit, right? Yeah. And at the time I didn't have a, a big weight advantage over a dog, but now I do. And if a dog tries to bite me and we get into a scuffle, a dog is going to lose. What? Not all dogs. Not all dogs, if, but if uh, a German shepherd wants to bite you and you get into a fight with it, you're going to lose. Well, yeah, but it all depends on the dog. And I, you know, how many German shepherds do you uh, get attacked by on a daily basis? Well, but you don't get attacked by dogs, <laughs> and in general, on a daily. No, but basis. generally, most of the dogs that uh, live around here that I see are just a little tiny weenie dogs that you step on and you're done, right? Yeah. But yes, you, you know, you get a you get a, a mastiff or a German shepherd or a Doberman pincer or a pit bull attacking you. Yeah, you got some problems, but uh, there is a weight advantage. On these dogs, okay, weight advantage, but not a strength advantage. No, but uh, it's certainly you know, not a jaw strength advantage. A dog will bite your arm off, man. Yeah, well, I don't know if it bite your arm off, but well, 
I'm just saying. I'm, if it gnawed on it for a while. I'm just, I, by that I, point, I've ripped the dog's eyes out. So I don't know, man. I think there are more dogs out there that could win a fight against you than there are dogs that would lose. I don't know. Trained I, dogs, yes. Trained dogs, yeah. But uh, trained anything can really take a chunk out of you. But come on, you know, an untrained dog that just uh, gets a little uppity, I'm not sure. A beagle? A beagle could, could bite you to death. Well, yeah. Beagles be aren't a, very I would dogs. scrap. I'm not going about to give up and go, oh, the beagle's biting me. I might as well lie here and wait for it to chew my eyeballs out and rip my throat out. I We're going to fight. I just think in a dog fight with even, say, a schnauzer, uh, a, a beagle, a small, small-ish dogs, right, you'd lose even if you fought back. The only yeah, dog that I, I think agree. you would, would win against are like the super tiny ones like chihuahuas or something like that. No, I, I don't agree. How? And it has to do with training. Like dogs are, uh, they don't have a lot of experience with, uh, you know, getting into dog fights, right? Well, I'm Most saying- Most dogs if- are, are are domesticated, and if they attack you, and all of a sudden they get punched in the face really, really hard, they're going to think twice about what the hell they're doing. You have an attack dog who's trained to do that kind of thing, uh, will have a little more discipline and a little more uh, aggressiveness that's been trained into them. Okay, you're right. I mean, domesticated dogs, fine. They won't, I mean, first of all, they shouldn't be attacking you anyways. And right. if they do, they probably would run away from the fight more than anything. Yeah, especially once I take a couple of swings at them. Sure. But anyways, I but just think- generally, I really, really like dogs. And you're not but punching when I, them when in I the see face. A, no, I'm not punching. I, you know, I've only been attacked by that one dog when I was a kid. <laughs> okay. And I totally lost. So- uh, now I just, I love dogs and, uh, usually when I get within, uh, you know, when I meet a new dog, that dog becomes my friend because I am uh, very friendly and I make dogs my friend. Jason loves dogs. That's the bottom line right here. Yes. But don't bite me. All right. Jose in upstate New York writes, I find it so fascinating that when Rick banished Carol, he said that he didn't trust her around his kids. And now Carol has killed to protect Rick's baby. I think Rick felt that he was being merciful in sparing Carol from the wrath of Tyrese. But Ty now knows the whole truth. The Grove tied so many loose ends and connected so many dots. Just an amazing episode and very well done. Well, you know, realistically, in the care of Carol and Tyrese, uh, one little girl was murdered and the other one was killed because of that murder. So really, she's not doing so well with kids. No, but to Jose's point, she was essentially protecting them from and protecting the world from Lizzie, which includes Judith, because Judith was right there. Right. And uh, now now Rick's going to have to thank her for, well, not just taking care of the baby all this time, but dispatching Lizzie. I don't think her track record's that good. Yeah, maybe not. <laughs> all right, so Josh from Indiana. Do you think Carol understood that killing Karen and David was, was wrong after what Lizzie did? Or do you think she didn't want to keep her secret anymore, and that's why she told Tyrese? So, question. Does Carol believe killing them was wrong, or did she just need to get it out in the open? I do not believe Carol thinks that killing them was wrong. I believe that you are correct. She didn't think it was wrong. She just wanted to get it off her chest because uh, Tyrese kept pushing it. Yeah, exactly. Carol decided that's what she was going to do. It was the right decision, and she went with it. Uh, it didn't end up working out so much, but maybe it did. I mean, maybe those people were going to... Maybe the infection would have been that much worse if they hadn't been killed and burnt up. So um, I don't think... I think Carol stands by her decision, but she just needed to admit to it so that they could move on or she could suffer the consequences because she understands that not everyone would see it the same way. Right. All right. Um, Mike, and all Mike did was provide a Twitter handle at AK Cook. Mike says, wait, how old was that kid when she was dissecting worms? Three? She's a science prodigy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't you usually do that in, uh, when, when do you do that? Grade seven, grade eight, that kind of thing? Yeah, or high school even, maybe. No, high school is frogs. I don't remember worms dissecting. Worms is grade school. I don't remember dissecting anything in high school, to be honest. No, I didn't dissect anything in high school. Oh, I remember doing frogs, uh, and I don't know what grade that was in. I think uh, I had to do a fish, and I have a feel like feeling that was like grade eight. Yeah. Maybe seven. I don't know. 
Either way. Well, maybe down south they do worms really, really young. Mika's little, so yeah, she's dissecting stuff when she's three, four years old. <laughs> maybe she was homeschooled and she's just a... Maybe she's a little bit psychopathic as well and did it as a you know a, a self-learning assignment. Could be. Could I'm be. I'm just going to dissect this little worm here. Or, like Mike says, she's a science <clears throat> prodigy and she just wanted to get a head start on everything. Right. All right, so this is from Andy in Seattle. Don't know if anyone else will speak to the medical aspects of tree sap. I have no idea, but I assumed that Carol was using the tree sap to, as a sort of glue uh, for the to keep the wound shut. If you don't have stitches, super glue is gr a great way to close a wound, and I assume that sticky sap would work similarly. Yeah, that's a good call, I'd say. Yeah. Oh, super glue is great. They don't recommend it. It actually says right on crazy glue, do not use it for medical purposes, even though it will work. Right, but in a pinch. Oh, yeah, in a pinch. Yeah, definitely have a little tube of crazy glue. Glue it, glue it shut. When my daughter ran into a table and split open her forehead, uh, they used some glue on that to just keep it, keep it shut for a little while. Yeah. That's basically crazy glue with uh, a little less harmful additives. Yeah, exactly. Maybe some antiseptic or something in there too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that makes sense. I mean, find the stickiest sub substance you can and coat the wound in it. I mean, tree sap's not going to hurt you because it's tree sap. And uh, uh, I don't know about that. Well, there I, are lots of poisonous plants out there that you shouldn't eat. Just because it's a plant, don't say it's not going to hurt you because it's a it's natural. I know that. Don't eat the berries and stuff like that. But yeah. I don't know. Tree sap? I'd be pretty comfortable using tree sap. I don't know. There's probably some nasty tree sap out there that does some weird and wonderful things. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, all right. Who's next? Gayla from Maple, Ontario. Weren't you too educated in Ontario? Jason, uh, were you? Yeah, mostly. I lived in Alberta for a while. Okay. I was educated in Ontario. <clears throat> I don't think you're much older than me, and likely around the same age. Of Mice and Men was standard reading in advanced English when I went to secondary school. That being said, I didn't catch the parallels until other people mentioned it. Um, so, no, Gayla, I'm nope. sorry. I did not have to read Of Mice and Men in high school. Neither did I. I did, uh, yeah, it was not, nowhere near uh, required reading. And just in case anyone is wondering, I don't mind telling people that I'm 39. I don't know how old Gala is, but yeah. I'm 39. So that, you know, puts me in high school in the uh, late 80s. Yeah, and I'm older than you, but not as old as friend of the show, Dave. <laughs> That's right. And I was in high school in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, I, I, I started high school in 89. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. Of Mice and Men was not part of the curriculum at that time. No, nope, me neither. At least not in my high school. Yeah. Uh, so, Gayla also wanted to know how you become friend of the show. Speaking I of friend of the I show. I don't think we have an answer to that. Actually, I do. You do? I mean, I, I, it changes a little bit. Oh, so it's entirely your opinion whenever you feel like it. Is that, is that the answer? No, 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 that's not the answer. There are some basic rules. And they are things like this. One, I have to generally have met you in real life. Right. So you. <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm on the show. I'm not a friend of the show. True. You are part of the show. Dave, who has been on the show, um, but we know him in real life, so he's friend yeah. of the show. Uh, another one of the rules is we have to have specifically kind of worked with you on something related to the podcast. So... Adam, who was the judge, one of the judges for our short story contest last year, yep. he is friend of the show because we've worked with him, and now I've met him in real life. Right. So that kind of thing. Um, Carl in the UK, he has a special relationship with us because he was the first person to ever send us an email when we first right. started this podcast. So he's basically our first fan. Having not met him in real life, I hope to someday but he gets friend of the show status for that reason. So it's a, I hate to say it, everyone, but it's a pretty exclusive club. <laughs> yeah, and there's no hard and fast rules no. to, 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 you know, to achieve that kind of status. It's just one of those things where uh, I don't know how you get there, but uh, I'll know it when I see it. Exactly. You'll know it yeah. when you're there. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, right. that's it. We can, we can move on from that. All right. So we have uh, Frank from the Internet. Why are the zombies' brains so resilient or resistant to fire? 
Given the amount of damage that much heat would do to their decomposing bodies, a brain would boil in the skull and enough damage would be done to render them inert. And yes, I do realize I'm nitpicking the details of a fictional universe. If you can't nitpick the details of a fictional universe, why are we here? It, well, that's what we do. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. There's, there's no point in being here if we can't do that. Uh, I get that it's a cool effect seeing the charred zombies. It's just weird to see headshots that, er uh, headshots that erupt in a splatter of charcoal briquettes, and yet somehow the dead are still walking. Something isn't right. Maybe the virus hyperactivates in the high temperatures. I don't know. I mean, he's Frank's got a good point here. If those zombies were really on fire, it doesn't take very long for your brain to like heat up and just pop. Um. Well, it all has to do with, uh, like, it's the lower brain that's, uh, that's working, right? Right at the base of the skull, your lower brain, that's, uh, that's doing all the, all, all the stuff. You're breathing, or not breathing, but you're walking, you're eating, you're, uh, you're grabbing onto things, you're putting stuff in your mouth, mm -hmm. all that kind of crap. It's very lower brain stuff. Your higher reasoning functions are right out the window, right? So, uh, so maybe that kind of, these were just the, how many were there, three or four? Yes. Maybe out of however many were in the fire, these are the three or four that uh, were burned in such a perfect way that it left the part of the brain that they need to live uh, unaffected and the rest of the brains that were being popped and turned into heart, uh, you know, charcoal briquettes when they blew apart, that stuff was burned. Yeah, I, I suppose. I mean, it's the Jenner said it's the brain stem that reactivates, right? Yeah. Um, Remember so, that uh, story of the chicken that got his head cut off and he lived for like uh, three years afterwards? Right. It, you know, it's because the chicken's whole head wasn't cut off, just most of its head, and the uh, the other rest of its head that caused it to run around and be a chicken, mostly, was uh, was still there, and they would just drop food down the neck hole to feed it. That is so weird. <laughs> it's so weird, but it's the kind of thing that can happen. Maybe just, it just got cut in the perfect way that uh, allowed it to continue to, uh, or not cut, but got burned in a perfect way that allowed these particular four to uh, to survive. Yeah, they just didn't quite burn enough. I mean, that's that's really all we can we can say. Now, on the opposite end of this is that a lot of people assume that in the zombie apocalypse, you would, if you go north, you'd be better off because there's winter and zombies would freeze in the winter and not be able to move, right. or or at least be dormant, basically, because if it's cold enough, that would be it. And someone asked me, but but in you know in most places there's summer and when they thawed out, you'd be in just as bad shape. Right. But someone made a point to me one time that if there's any water or moisture in that zombie's brain that freezes, you know, ice, water expands when it freezes. Ice is bigger than water. And yeah. so it would expand in the brain. It would damage it when it expands. And even when they thawed, they wouldn't sort of come back to life because the brain would be damaged from the ice freezing inside their skulls. Yeah, that's so true. frozen zombies would actually freezing would actually kill the zombie, and you'd be actually better off in the summer up north then because there'd right. be less zombies. Well, two things. One is that uh, you can freeze a frog, so uh, they're working on that. By the way, to figure out why you could freeze a frog and how could we apply that to humans, but they haven't figured that out yet. Um, that Second thing is that if the lower brain is the part that uh, reanimates and that's the uh, part of the brain that is responsible for zombies getting up and walking around, Michonne has to be careful about cutting off half of people's heads because she might just cut off the part of the head that really doesn't matter and the zombie's just fine afterwards. Yeah, that's true. I mean, a zombie could walk around with half a head gone. Yeah. Interesting. All righty, let's move on. Maria from Spartanburg, South Carolina. Something has been bugging me all season long, and I want to get y'all's thoughts. All along, up until this latest episode, I was sure that Lizzie had killed Karen and David, and Carol was covering for her. When Carol confessed to Tyrese, saying, It wasn't Lizzie, it wasn't a stranger, it was me, I thought, okay, so it really was Carol. Until I remembered a huge piece of evidence that most people haven't picked up on. In the flashback scene, where Rick envisions Carol killing them, if you pause the TV at just the right time, you will see very distinctly that there are three hands pulling the body around the corner. Um, hmm. Which means Carol, we can assume, is there pulling that body with both her hands and a third hand. Well, let me ask you this, Chris. How many hands do you have? I have two hands, Jason. 
I also have two hands. So that uh, that makes me think that there might be more than one person. It does. Now, you'd think you'd see four hands, but maybe not. Um, well, you know, maybe, maybe they, were, they were using the fourth hand. Whoever's uh, hand that was was uh, picking their nose or something. You know, <laughs> yeah. The hand was previously occupied. I've, I know i got to drag this body, but, geez, that thing itches. Bra- bracing themselves on the wall. How about that, maybe? You know? Sure. I don't know. All I, you know, I, I don't know that we're ever going to go back to this in the show. I don't know that maybe we were ever supposed to notice that there were three hands there. Maybe it was just shot that way because that's a heavy body, and whoever was actually doing the pulling needed a little help. Right. Maybe it's just a trick of the shot, and it looks like three hands. Maybe, you know, it's it's hard to say. Maybe um, Carol's like the Flash, and she's so fast that it looks like it's more than one person. Maybe Carol has a third arm that we just haven't noticed before, and she's using it there. I, I don't know. That's true. The only other thing I could say is maybe Carol did have help doing what she did. Maybe it was Lizzie, but since Lizzie has been killed now, she didn't really feel the need to bring it up because, she, you know, Carol did the killing, Carol did the burning. Maybe Lizzie was just there helping her drag them or something like that. Right. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever go back to it. It is an interesting thing to think about, and if you go look at that scene, there does indeed appear to be three hands pulling the body. Interesting. But uh, who knows? Could just be one of those things that we're never really going to find out more about. We probably will never know. That's right. All right, so this is uh, Greg from the Internet, and he's talking about uh, Of Mice and Men spoilers. Drawing a parallel between the death of Lenny in Of Mice and Men and Lizzie in The Grove is off the mark. George kills Lenny as an act of mercy and love to protect his friend from a brutal murder at the hands of Curly, who vowed revenge to make Lenny suffer after the death of his wife. Before George pulls the trigger, he retells the story of their bright future, knowing it is something they will never share. Then he shoots Lenny in the back of the head, ensuring his death will be painless and happy. Carol executes Lizzie in the interest of self-preservation, realizing uh, Lizzie cannot be trusted to live among the group. When Lizzie Lizzie is killed, she is distraught, crying, and upset. Something bad is going to happen. The killing is certainly tragic and beautifully portrayed by Melissa McBride, but also nowhere near the same thing. So, uh, as we mentioned, neither of us have read Of Mice and Men, but I wanted to include that one just as a counterpoint, oops, sort of, to uh, to the parallels. That yeah. uh, although they're similar, Greg on the internet seems to think that they're actually really, really different. That the motivations, at least for Carol doing the murder, murdering as opposed to George in Of Mice and Men, um, you know, it's different enough in why they're killing the person. Right. And it's interesting. And, and you know what? It makes me want to read Of Mice and Men even more, so I'm picking it does, that up. Because I have no idea who Curly is, or I didn't know that he had a wife, and I didn't know anything about a bright future for uh, Lenny and George. All these things I think I would find interesting, so I'm going to go to Audible right now. I'm going to buy this damn thing. There you go, man. Get it. I'll be getting it too. While you're doing that, I'm going to read this email from Michael in Cincinnati. I'm sure everyone is giving this episode a ton of love. I, for one, felt that it was predictable. The first half meandered. It didn't get interesting until Mika stopped Tyrese from killing Railroad Zombie. We all knew that Lizzie was effed up. We all knew that Mika was the rational one, making Lizzie look even more effed up. The writers boiled these two characters down to one trait each. Lizzie equals crazy, Mika equals weak. They haven't been developed more than that since they were introduced. Hmm. And I can see that. I mean, Lizzie and Mika definitely had very different uh, character traits, and they were pretty opposite. Um, off the top of the show, you know, we, we were talking about how they each exemplified exemplified a different sort of you can't kill the living and you don't always have to kill the dead. Um, but I don't know. It, it worked for me. I liked it. I thought the performances were all really good. That's also something comp- other people have complained about as I've been, you know, reading Reddit and stuff like that. But uh, I was okay with it. And I didn't find this episode really boring at all. Yeah, and I'm you know I think Mika equals weak. Uh, I think Mika kind of redeemed herself when the, the you know the crispy zombies attacked, and she was you know participating in the taking down of the crispy zombies. And so she kind of redeemed herself there for sure. And Mika was the one that shot the zombie who came out of the house and fell over the railing. Yeah, 
you know, she had a few good kills in this, and she may be weak because, you know, or she may come across as weak because she doesn't want to kill someone who's living. She certainly can step up and protect herself when when someone who's dead is attacking her. Right. And I, you know, I don't think that makes her weak, partly because, again, she's a child, and she's still figuring things out, and children have very simple views on the world, and she sees living people as people you don't kill. Right. And, uh... You that's know, not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing, especially when you're hanging around with these people. So Right. All right, so this email came from Peter in Australia. Peter, Peter's email is about The Walking Dead in more general terms, but uh, we thought we'd... Uh, but he thought he had a good, op- good observation. And, Chris, uh, it looks like you cut out a bunch because you're a jerk. You know, uh, I'm I was a little thinking, bit of a dick. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking about The Walking Dead today and thought of something interesting. Each season of The Walking Dead thus far has an overarching theme. In the first season, as the various characters came to terms with the state of the world after the zombie apocalypse, they are all engaged in an inner struggle to find the motivation to survive. The second season is about letting go of the past and accepting loss. Uh, uh, It began with a little girl being lost and a refusal to give up the search. The third season is all about the struggle to maintain your humanity in the face of danger. As Herschel talks about the cost of giving up your your humanity, Rick is finding it difficult to maintain his grip on sanity and agonizing over his decision to kill Shane. The fourth season is still in play, but it appears to be related to the question, once you have fallen, how do you get back up again? So I wanted to include this one. This is the last one uh, in the list tonight, and I think Peter makes a really interesting observation here about the themes of each season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when he in his terms, the way he's described them here, it kind of seems like a logical progression, too, of the themes. As we start near the beginning of the apocalypse, we get into it a little more, and now we're a couple of years in. This seems like it might be the stages that, you know, characters would go through. Right. And uh, the stuff I cut out was really just Peter giving more uh, more examples to support his, his uh, rationale here, but... I think everything is there sort of says it, you know, pretty well anyways. So, right. you know, it's it's interesting that you can look at a whole season like this, and this probably isn't that uncommon on TV, and see kind of a, um, a specific theme that runs through the entire season, and then they wrap it up and they move on to something else in the next year or the, the year after. Yeah. No, I, I would absolutely agree with that. And Dexter's really good for that. Each theme, each season has a definite kind of uh, lesson that Dexter is learning. You know, there's a whole season on religion, you know, his take on religion. There's a whole season on friendship. There's a whole season on, uh, you know, finding, you know, getting to know his his son. Spoiler alert there for like season four. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, that kind of thing. So, uh there are, yeah, there are lots of shows out there that have an overarching theme, and, uh, you know, The Walking Dead is definitely one of them. I wonder if it's difficult to maintain that when you have different writers and different showrunners and, and, and things like that. In the case of The Walking Dead, some shows have the same, you know, the same writers for their entire run, the same directors even, you know. Um, but I wonder if The Walking Dead has, had, has struggled with that a little bit. I, It's, you know... As Peter lays it out here, it seems all very straightforward. But when I think back through the four seasons that we've seen, there's been some up and downs, you know, and it doesn't seem like uh, every episode necessarily fits in with the structure of that season. But at the same time, I feel like they've done a pretty good job considering all the changes they've had. Well, I'm not a writer. I've never been a writer. I've never been a very good writer of anything. I can barely spell my own name. And I've never considered the thoughts of, you know, themes in, in general. But I'm sure that when they get down, they, the writers all sit down in a room at the beginning of a season and go, okay, we have to figure out how to structure this season. I'm sure they talk about it. They talk about what kinds of things are going to happen, what the overall story arcs are going to be, and then they fill in fill in the blanks. And they come up with an outline for the whole thing and then fill in all the blanks. That being said... I've known people that uh, that were writers that like to write and were writing, uh, you know, fictional stories. And I asked, uh, you know, specifically about, uh, you know, do you come up with an outline and figure it all out? And basically uh, one or two of them said, no, I just write and, you know, whatever comes out, comes out. And that's how I would write. 
And at the end of it all, when somebody came to me and said, oh, I see your overarching theme here. It meant this, this, and this. I'm like, I would be all, yeah, that's, uh, that's exactly what I was thinking. Sure. Although you're not as a, as a, as a amateur writer, (laughs) you know, you wouldn't take that process, but I would think that a professional writer for TV, especially where there has to be continuity from one episode to the next in most cases. Yeah, you're not writing in a vacuum. The people I were talking to were like, I'm writing, you know, Star Trek fan fiction and, uh, you know, (laughs) sitting in their basement in the middle of the night, you know, trying to figure out what Picard would do. Uh, you know, that's one thing. And, but when you're in a, a writer's room for a major network television show, you know, you better bring your A game and you better put the right people in the room. And uh, you know, my friends are obviously not the right people. <laughs> no, I guess not. <laughs> and don't talk about my Star Trek fan fiction anymore. <laughs> you got it. All righty. Thank you, Peter, for sending that in. Great observation. And that's the last one. That's it? That's it. That's it for this week. Um, it was fun while it lasted, but it's over. Oh, well, that's okay. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be another episode next week. Yep, I think there will be. In the meantime, everyone, please send in any uh, feedback or comments you want to. You can give us a call at one 483 9662 You can find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. Um, do you remember when we talked about hitting 20,000 likes, Jason? Vaguely. Yeah, that was that was a couple of weeks ago. Now that's we're on at like, MySpace, right? Yeah, that's right. We have 20,000 likes on MySpace. Okay, good. We, we're past 23,000, I think, already. So oh, awesome. That whole, the more likes you have, the more you can get theory is, is working out. So That's great. I just want to personally thank each and every one of you for liking us on Facebook and uh, listening and all the other awesome things you listeners do, including send email, which you can do at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Only two more episodes this season, and uh, if we have anything to say about it, they're going to be A-plus episodes, right? Yeah, the only two episodes, man. I could count those on two fingers. You really, really could. Um, and uh, that means also that you only have about two more weeks to send in, maybe a little more because we're still uh, middle of the week here. It's hump hour, or it was hump hour today, if you were At 1 o'clock, yeah, yeah, exactly halfway through the week. That's right. Uh, you only have two and a half weeks, let's say, to send in your record a scene entries, so keep those coming. I hope you guys are enjoying hearing them as much as we are. Oh, I'm, I'm loving it. I know. So keep those coming. Send them in in uh, whatever way you deem acceptable. And uh, I guess that's it for now. Yeah. I just uh, just want to let everybody know that I got Of Mice and Men on Audible. And so I'm going to start listening to it tomorrow because I need a new book. So it's perfect. That's good. Maybe you can review it in a couple of weeks on uh, the show. Sure. Why not, everyone? I'll read it too. I'm I'm curious to read it. Although, you know, I did pick up the second half of the the last book in the Governor trilogy, <laughs> which is out now. Um, I picked it up at Walker Stalker Con, so I'm probably going to read that uh, very soon and see how that story ends. Yeah, well, uh, going to get that on Audible too, I guess. Yeah, you have to, man. Just load up, load up right there. Oh, there it is. Right. And, I, you know, I, I should mention, I, I want to mention something right now, that uh, I went to the Jay Bonansinga panel at Walker Stalker Con, and he revealed that there will indeed be more Walking Dead novels. Good. So he didn't, you know, give any details on what the content would be, but he said there are more in development. So this Governor trilogy of four books is not the last we'll see of him and Robert Kirkman collaborating on novels. Right. So if you like these, there's bound to be more coming down the pipe. I would guess maybe in time for season five. Probably. And, uh, you know, if I had to guess, it would be Lily. Like, I haven't read the second part, uh, but I, I assume that, uh, you know, spoiler alert, the governor dies. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> somebody has to take up the uh, the mantle of protagonist. And so our choices are somebody who we already know, or they're going to go someplace completely different and, uh, you know, tell a story of somebody in uh, France, let's say. Well, I don't think they're going to do that. Lily is probably a good choice, but... I'm not convinced they're going to continue following her story at the end of the governor's storyline. I think they'll wrap it up for her. 
as for who it's going to incorporate, I have no idea. Like maybe, maybe they'll we'll, jump to Morgan. That would be cool. Actually, Morgan stories would be really cool. Um, a lot of other characters were introduced fairly early on, right? Like Tyrese and Michonne. They might have interesting stories associated with them, but I don't know. If you could get three books out of the governor, you could probably get three books out of Michonne before she yep. joins the group. You know, Maybe. That might be cool, but uh, we'll see. We'll find out. And when they do mm -hmm. come out, I'm sure I will read them. Yes. And talk I'm sure about them I will read here. them as well. Yeah. All right, everyone, we've gone on long enough. Thank you for listening. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks. Good night.